We're so glad that you're here this morning. If you're visiting with us, we are a spiritual family desiring to seek the Lord, love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love each other, our neighbors, even our enemies as ourselves. And so that's what we're about. I pray that you'll be blessed, encouraged, and strengthened. At the end of our time this morning, we will gather at the Lord's table. And if you are in Christ, the invitation is for you to come. It's his table, not our church's table. We welcome you to be with us. We gather in small groups of six, eight, 10. They end up kind of expanding before it's all over. Uh, And we gather here at the front in five different areas. And if you're here alone or uh, if you're here and you're new, someone will probably want you to be a part of their group, just include you into it. If you're in Christ, the table is for you. I became a Christian when I was seven years old. My parents radically met Jesus and, and were filled with the Holy Spirit. It, it changed their lives. He changed their lives and their marriage uh, and our family. My parents are here, of course. They serve with us in this community and I'm so blessed to have them. From an early age, I had a very passionate hunger for the Lord. I, I was so... Um, moved by him, even at seven years of age. I, I remember evangelizing my grandparents, even though they told me they were already Christians. <laughs> but based on how they acted sometimes, I wasn't sure. <laughs> so I was like, are you sure? I, I think I need to tell you more about Jesus. I prayed for anything that moved. People, pets, machines, didn't matter. I, I prayed for our family if they were sick. I prayed for an orphaned lamb that we took in as a pet. I prayed for a broke down washing machine and a lawnmower that couldn't be cranked. And God heard my prayers. They were healed. The lamb lived. The machines wore on for many more years. My mom said, can you pray for that washing machine to die? I'm ready for a new one now. My prayer was so effective and fervent that it worked. I believed God. He answered my prayer. They all got better. God worked, even through a seven-year-old, eight-year-old, nine-year-old boy. After reading Acts 13, 36, that David served God's purpose in his own generation, I beca- that became my prayer. God, that's what I want to do. I wanna serve your purpose in my generation. And after graduating high school at 17, I moved 1,100 miles away to Mobile, Alabama, where I could be discipled by some great leaders in the faith and to go about doing what God had called me to do. You know why young people encounter Jesus can be so radical? Because they actually believe what he says. Because when they read this book and they see how God uses people, they actually have the audacity to believe that God might use them too. How about you? Do you believe that? Do you live like it's true? Or do your doubts dictate more of your walk with God than what God says is possible? Do we have so much confidence in ourselves, in our plans, in our careers, in our IRAs, in our HSAs, in our essential oils, in our New Year's resolutions, 
that we're determined we can do it without him? Of course, we can't. We can't do it without him. But people live like they can. Christians who, who say they follow Jesus live as if they're the ones that determine their future. I say all this to everyone sitting here today or listening, young and old, those that have followed Christ, those that are considering following him. All of that is still possible today. All that is in here is still available to us today. It didn't end with the end of the writing of the Bible. It didn't end with the apostles. The spirit is still active and working. The word is still active and sharper than a two-edged sword. His salvation, his power, his healing, his freedom, his deliverance, his filling of the spirit, his purpose, his holiness, his power is still available today. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you've done, God's not done with you yet. You haven't maxed out his promises. You haven't depleted his power. You haven't ruined your only chance. God is still in the business of taking people who will be completely radically sold out to him and use them for his glory and for his purpose. God, use me, I pray. Renew the passion of a seven-year-old kid in my heart, oh God. If you, want, if you want to get back to a radical pursuit of God, or if you want to, for the first time, start pursuing God, because that may be you today. The passage we're going to look at this morning, I believe, is a really good place to start. It was spoken by the prophet Hosea to a people that had turned from God and they were in severe decline. But the promise and the challenge that Hosea spelled out for them in Hosea 10 verses, verse 12 is still a verse for us to read today. And it's just as powerful and available to us as it was to them. Sow for yourselves righteousness Reap steadfast love, break up your fallow ground. For it is time, say that with me, it is time. Say it one more time. It is time to seek the Lord. That he may come and rain righteousness upon you. Today, I wanna encourage you in your seeking the Lord in this season of prayer and fasting that we as a church community are engaging I wanna encourage you to take three actions that are spelled out in this verse. Break, sow, and seek. First, break up your fallow ground. Now, I'm not a farmer here. I wasn't even in 4-H. Um, I don't know, were you, Chad? Were you in 4-H? Yeah, my younger brother was, and he's here today, so. But I wouldn't. I don't know about fallow ground, but I read about it. Fallow ground is the untilled yet tillable soil. It's, it's what's been unused, unplowed. It's land that could be productive, but for whatever reason, it's not been broken up. It's not been tilled. It's not been plowed. It's not been prepared for planting. 
Just imagine a farmer who has a couple of sons and he has 100 acres to, to farm. And of course, his boys are raised to work with him on the farm and they're able to handle these 100 acres. It's a lot of work to till up the ground, to sow the seeds, to make sure that the, the weeds are not overtaking it, that creatures and vermin aren't out there getting it. Don't you look the way I said that vermin? Or is that varmin? Is that varmin? In the South is varmin, right? They don't, they, farmers got to do a lot of work. It's early to rise. It's late to bed. It's up with the sun. It's down with the sunset. It's plowing the land. And it takes a lot of effort and work and effort on their part. But let's just say one of those sons, he grows up and he's like, farm life's not for me. I love you, dad, but I'm off to the university. So now he's down one hand and the farmer has to reduce the amount of work that he can do because he doesn't have his first son. So they now start farming 70 acres of the 100 acres he owns. And they're working really, really well. And the second boy grows up and he also says, dad, I wanna be a doctor. And so he takes off. And now the farmer who had two able-bodied sons is down to just himself. And all he can produce is 40 acres worth of work. That other 60 acres goes fallow. It becomes fallow ground. It's unused. It was useful at one time. It was productive at one time. It's still owned by the farmer, but it is now unused. Do you have parts in your life that were once surrendered to Jesus, that once reaped his righteousness, but now they've gone fallow, unused, hard-packed, grown over, unproductive? Maybe you've put off plowing it up because it's just too difficult or painful. Maybe you can't envision a harvest growing there. So you've just never bothered. If that's the case, Hosea is speaking to you today. Break up the fallow ground. To us, he is speaking the same word that he spoke to those in his day. Break up that which is fallow. To believers and churches, so many of us have become hard, dry ground, not producing much, who in the midst of all the noise and the drama and the pressures of life have lost sight of God's presence and shrunk what they will let God touch. Let's just do these 40 acres, God. Those other 60 will be just fine. A.W. Tozer said, the man of fallow life is contented with himself and the fruit he once bore. He does not want to be disturbed. But the plowed life is the life that has in the act of repentance thrown down the protecting fences and sent the plow a confession into the soul. Discontent, yearning, contrition, courageous obedience to the will of God. These have bruised and broken the soil till it is ready again for the seed. And as always, fruit follows the plow. Life and growth begin as God rains down righteousness. I love that line, fruit follows the plow. 
The plow bruises and breaks us up. It churns. It disturbs. The fruit follows the plow. Here's what I believe God is saying to us today. Break up your fallow ground. Fallow ground. Break up your fallow, unused ground. Address the unfruitfulness in your life. That part of your spiritual walk that was once flourishing, but now is languishing. And remember, God has promised to rebuke the devourer, that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and that your vine in the field shall not fail to bear fruit. His promise is true if you will let him take the plow to your life. It's time to break up complacency with what John Tyson calls holy discontent. You know, where you don't try to manage your discontent, explain it away, well, that's just the way things are. No, you fuel your discontent with faith and you decide it's time to change. Enough is enough. Take the plow to my heart, oh God, and make me fruitful again. Take my complacency and break it up. It's time to break up our cynicism with renewed hope. He is God. He hasn't changed. He's still on the throne. Why are we so cynical? We need to repent of our unbelief and trust him again that he is greater than all the evil that we see at work in the world around us and even in our lives ourselves. God is able to break us free and he calls us to be people of his hope, a living hope. And it's time to break up our disillusionment with renewed vision and start believing God for more fruit, for greater faith, for a better harvest that we that what we see him doing is only the beginning. Like it says in the book of Job, I love this verse. Behold, these are the outskirts of his ways. <laughs> what you've experienced up to this point, it's just the outskirt. There's so much more. It's just the periphery. It is on the outside. Yeah, you get to taste something. Yeah, you get to see something. But there is so much more. This is just the outskirts of what God is doing. In your family, in your marriage, in our church, in this community, it's but the outskirts of what God is doing. We are certainly at the edge of what is coming, but his best is still yet to come. Break up your disillusionment. Let it be broken up with vision that comes from on high. Your cynicism, let it be broken up with renewed hope. And your complacency, break it up with holy discontent. This will change. Let's find those places that used to be alive, that ground that's gone dormant. Till it up, break it up. Break up the hard ground. Give back to God the space you have taken from him and see what he will do. The second thing, sow. We must sow. Hosea says we should sow for ourselves righteousness and reap steadfast love. You know, throughout the Bible, you will find this principle of reaping and sowing. 
it shows so many things to us. One thing that shows is that if you want a different harvest, you should sow a different seed. If you've got a harvest you don't care for, the time to deal with that was when you planted the seed. Now, I love what Jim Newsom came and shared with us a few years ago. He said, you could actually go back out there and retrieve your seed and sow the good stuff. And I think God gives us that chance to do that. But if you've got a harvest you don't like, it's because you sowed seed you shouldn't have. If you're not happy with what you're getting, stop planting bad seeds and sow God's word into your life. His word is the seed that will bear something. Take a glance at the American church, will you? And just look at all the bad crops that we've sown. We've sown entertainment and reaped spectators. We've sown political power and reaped zealots. We've sown celebrity and reaped consumers. We've sown influence and reaped compromise. We've sown self-reliance and reaped exhaustion. We've sown self-actualization and reaped decline. Paul warned the Galatians, do not be deceived, he said. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that is what he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Sowing and reaping is embedded into our reality, both materially and spiritually. If a farmer wants a harvest of wheat, he better best sow wheat. You don't sow corn and get a crop of lima beans. And if you sow righteousness that is spelled out in God's loving kindness, then righteousness is what you will get. But if you sow unrighteousness and discord and discontent and all the other things that can be pulling us away from God, then that's the harvest that you will reap. Good seed will produce a good crop and bad seed a bad one. What we sow in this life will determine what we become and where we will go. Our actions have consequences. So my challenge to us is to break up the fallow ground and sow the good seed. The good seed of his word of righteousness that produces a harvest of loving kindness. The third action, third thing, seek. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord, one says, verse says, while he may be found. Here Hosea says, seek the Lord until he rains on us his righteousness. You know, when I, I read the Bible, I see people seeking God in ways that really challenges me. Abram bargained with God on behalf of Sodom. How do you negotiate with God? Abram did. Moses kicked off his shoes and fell on his face. Hannah prayed with such raw emotion, the priest Eli thought she was drunk in the morning. David brazenly said to God, wake up. Are you sleeping, Lord? Rouse yourself. How do you pray that kind of prayer? 
Esther called her people to pray and fast and put her life on the line for such a time as this. Elijah prayed down heaven out of, fire out of heaven. Daniel prayed and fasted that God's promises of restoration would come to pass. Anna and Simeon, they lived in prayerful expectation, believing that their eyes would see the promised one, the Messiah. And Jesus himself prayed and fasted, going into the wilderness, praying and fasting for 40 days, and on multiple occasions, praying all night long, seeking the will of the Father. And he clearly expects his disciples, those that were with him walking the planet, and those of us today who walk with him still. He expects us to seek the Lord with fervency. When the church leaders of Antioch were seeking the Lord and fasting, it was in that moment of fast and prayer that the Holy Spirit said, set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. You know what they did? They prayed and fasted some more. They heard God and their prayer and fasting. And they thought we should pray and fast some more. Not because they weren't sure, but because they wanted to get even more of what God's purpose was revealed. And so they prayed and fasted and they set them apart and they sent them out. And you know what Paul and Barnabas did everywhere they went? They set into place leaders while praying and fasting over them. These people sought the Lord with such fervency, with such determination. How do we do it? Are we apathetic? Do we, can, can we barely show up? Well, you know, I got a lot on my plate, got kids, we got some sickness. I don't know if I have time. You know, the job is demanding me. I've got to make sure to do. We need to seek God with the kind of fervency we see in the word of God. Sometimes our seeking God, our pursuit of him can be so flaccid, so puny, so weak. And of course, I know God meets us where we are. I'm grateful that when I am weak, and I have no strength that I can cry out to him just a small peep and he will respond. But Jesus seems to like it when we have a ferocity about our praying, a shameless audacity in what we ask for. How do I know? Because he told us, Luke eleven five, 5, when Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight, and you say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Now, don't misunderstand. God is not cranky. He's not sleepy. He's not reluctant to answer prayer. The parable's logic is this, that if a neighbor can be badgered into helping you, how much more will God answer your prayers? How much more? The father who loves you, when you have shameless audacity asking him for things beyond anyone's imagination or beyond what you could think, God likes those kind of prayers. 
Jesus said, because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you what you need. Shameless audacity. It's more than persistence. It's, it's a brazenness. It's impertinence. It's moxie. It's chutzpah. It is gall that you would ask. Yes, I ask because I know him as my father. And I know he cares for me more than even a neighbor who would be reluctant to help me in the middle of the night. Isn't that amazing that Jesus wants us to go for it when we pray? Not just to shrink back, but to actually lean in and believe him for the impossible. To believe him for what we don't see. To believe him for far greater things than what we've experienced. This is the kind of prayer that God responds to. Yes, he'll, he'll, he'll respond when we're weak and in need and feeble, but he likes it when we have shameless audacity with our prayer. As a church community, we're in the midst of 21 days of prayer and fasting. And I've just exerted a whole lot of energy and I'm feeling kind of fainty right now. But we do this every year. It is so significant for us as a church community. It has been a central pivotal moment of our church calendar. And I am looking for God to do great things again this year. I'm looking for him to speak to us words of vision, direction, clarity, healing, deliverance, freedom, salvation, power. I want the Holy Spirit to come on our young people in such a powerful way. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would baptize our youth and our children with the power of the Holy Spirit. If, if, if God could give me a baptism of the Spirit at age, age seven, he can do it for our kids too. I'm praying for so much. I'm praying for some of you in very fervent ways that God will cause a breakout, a breakthrough, a release of his spirit in your midst and your circumstances would be changed. I'm praying that God will do a work that no one can argue with. I encourage you to have some shameless audacity about what you pray for. Get bold, put it out there on the line. Ask God to wake up on your behalf. He likes that when you do that. We seek him because our sanctification is not yet complete. We seek him because the world as we live in, it is wrought with pain and suffering and needs the gospel of the kingdom. We seek him because God satisfies those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We seek him because all of creation is groaning for redemption. And we seek him because his enemies are still being made his footstool. And one day he will return. And down out of heaven will come a new Jerusalem and a new heaven and a new earth. And we will be a part with him. All the glory that God has revealed will be revealed to us in that moment. God has called us into this eternal plan. It's time I said, it's time to seek the Lord. It is time to seek the Lord until he rains down upon us his righteousness and his loving kindness spreads out throughout our midst and beyond us. May that be our focus in this season and beyond. Let's break up the fallow ground. Let's 
sow seeds, the good seeds that bear a good harvest. And let's seek his face till he rains down on us his righteousness. Praise God. Amen. My wife is going to come and now we're going to gather at the Lord's table. I'd like to... I'd like to ask those who uh, will be helping us by serving communion this morning to go ahead and come and, and to get in your place this morning. I think we experience God's bigness at different times and in different ways. And for myself, the fast always exposes places where I forget <laughs> where I, I don't practice remembering what he's already said, what he's already done, and who I know him to be. He exposes places where how I'm behaving or thinking or um, feeling don't line up with who he is. And so one of the things I feel that he is offering us is a revelation of his character. Hmm. We're all fasting about very specific things. Maybe they're personal, maybe they're, maybe it's a list of people you have that God's written on your heart um, about our community, about our world. There's a lot to pray for. But he, he may not answer you with the details about the things that you are praying about. Hmm. He will absolutely answer you with himself. Yes. And when he does, we will be like Isaiah. When we see him as he is, everything lines up to that. That's right. That's when the yoke is broken. That's yes. when we are set free from yes, evil desires. Jesus. That's when That's our right. relationships are transformed. That's when we are impassioned and enabled to give the way he gives. Yes. Um, so I just, I encourage you, regardless of what's on your list, don't look for those answers. Those are great things to ask and pray for. Yes. But he is going to answer us with himself. Himself. Yes. Amen. Amen. So we're going to pray. We're going to pray for you. And then we're going to invite you to come to the table, one of these five stations. We're also going to pray for the bread and for the cup that we're taking this morning, receiving. But I encourage you as you are here and if the Lord is speaking to you, to be open to what further he wants to do in your heart. Maybe there are things that you need to confess, ground that is hard because of sin. Maybe there are things that you need to confess to the Lord or to others. Maybe there are things that you need to really just ask the Lord for. While you're having communion, the Lord may do something for you right there at his table. Is there not a better place? But if you're in need of ministry beyond the time at communion, there's going to be a couple elders in this corner and over in this corner uh, that can pray for you further, give you prophetic word, utterance, pray for you in faith, believe in God for breakthrough where you are in this season. So don't leave without letting the Lord touch you in where you are. Let's pray together. Let's first pray for them. Then if you'd pray for the bread and I'll pray for the cup. Father, we know that when we are seeking you,
it's because you've been seeking us first. This invitation to come and seek you is because you want to be found. You want to reveal yourself to us. You want to show us things that we don't know. You want to give us things that we don't have. You want to change us into faithful and effective and trustworthy ambassadors for you. Yes, Lord. Father, this is a season. Roger said, don't neglect the season that you're in. And then Jamie said, this is your season. Mm. You, you have things that you are doing, not that you want to do, but that you are doing. And we have an opportunity to, to release ourselves to that. So I ask, Father, that you would meet us where we are and draw us after you. Yes, Lord. That whatever we need for you to touch in our hearts, in our thoughts, that you would search us and try us and know us and see if there be any evil way in us Mm -hmm. and then lead us in in your way. Lead us in your kingdom. Yes. Lead us in your peace. Yes, Lord. That we would be witnesses of your grace and your redemption and your power. Praise you, God. When we receive the bread of life today, I pray, God, that we would come empty so that there's not a place in us that won't be filled Mm. with your fullness. Yes, Lord that we would willingly open ourselves to anything and everything you have to say and do. Yes, Lord. That there wouldn't be any distraction or defense or um, anything that we withhold. Yes. You gave everything for us to be at this table Mm. so that we could have everything you have to offer. Yes, Lord. Let us be good stewards, Lord. Yes, Jesus. And receive. And Lord, in the same way we receive your cup today, it's the cup of a new covenant that you, that you spoke about in the Old Testament and then delivered with your disciples. And it is for us, it's a new covenant where the blood you shed washes away our sin and pays the price, pays the penalty of what we have done. And it gives to us newness of life, righteousness for our filth, forgiveness for our sin, life for our death. We receive the blood of Jesus which washes us clean, the cup of this new covenant. And we receive you, Lord, all of you, We do as Donna prayed. We come empty and ask that you would fill every part of us. In Jesus' name, come to the table.